0: Hello, and welcome to the Book Strong Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Christie. This podcast will be released on a bi weekly schedule. The goal of this podcast is to read the literature from strength and conditioning and get the perspective from the authors and coaches alike. For the first episode, we are talking with Coach Scott Caulfield. Please sit back and enjoy the show. We're sitting here with Coach Scott Caulfield and his dog Alfie the Mini. (laughs) Scott Caulfield is a veteran, Vermonter, and director of strength and conditioning at Norwich University. Before this, he worked as head strength and conditioning coach at NSCA headquarters in Colorado and Colorado College until accepting his job at Norwich in 2021. Scott, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to be looking at an article you wrote in an NSCA publication. For those who haven't read the article, it'll be linked in the description. It is called Philosophy and Strength and Conditioning, Clarifying Coaching and Training Philosophy. So coach, what is coaching philosophy?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny, like I think every coach, so I'll give you a little background on it, every coach knows or is told at some point like that they're supposed to have a coaching philosophy and everybody knows it. If you ask any coach, are like, hey, has anyone ever told you you're supposed to have a coaching philosophy? And they all go, yep. And then most of the time though, when you get dig down a little deeper, you ask, uh, well, how do you do it? Most people are never told how. So sometimes I've found in a sports site class, they'll cover it and they talk about how to do it. Um, most of the time though, there's just no like direction, so it's it was something that I kind of stumbled upon and found there was a need for, so that's kind of why I started it. But you know what I really think is your coaching philosophy is your guiding um, kind of mission and values. It's it's the why you do what you do, and it's also the how you do it. And again, that's kind of where the coaching and training philosophy kind of splits off. The coaching philosophy being the why training philosophy being the how and the two have to work together and be incorporated to really be you know something that you can use to guide your coaching practice and be a better coach you know i think that's the other key part of it is being reflective and evaluating what you do on a regular basis or else again you know the the good old kind of cliche that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So that's why we need to be reflective. We need to have kind of, you know, uh, substance behind what we do. And that's kind of where that whole coaching philosophy um, tangent that I went on came from, really.
0: Going off that, in the article you write, coaching philosophy can be defined as a way of thinking about the universe and the interactions of all that happens within it. So you just touched on some of the tricks and how to actually do it, but how have the applications of and the, ex- and the good and the bad experiences you've had in the weight room kind of shape your philosophy now?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, I would say probably it's when, when you start putting things down on paper, you start thinking about what values do I even stand for, right? Like, what do I right. want people to know about right. me? What do I want to stand for? So, like, that's where, that's where it came from as being important in athletics to me is, like, what are these things that we talk about a lot in sports or athletics? And whether that be attention to detail or right. physical preparation or being, you know, uh, building leaders, whatever it is, like, you can, you can insert yours, uh, you know, if you're listening into this. Um, but it was more defining it for yourself so that you kind of um, are stating what you represent but I also found that a lot of people if you really truly value these values in your life and what I again would call core values like I don't necessarily need to tell you those I think you realize those when you see someone and you see how they work and how they uh, do things I think if I told you hey these three things are my core values. You'd probably already know that just from being around me for the last six months and working with me in the weight room. You know, it wouldn't be something I had to tell you about. So, um, again, the reason it becomes important to go and, and reflect on it is it changes. So like, you know, sometimes you have great resources. Sometimes you have terrible resources. Um, you know, if you want to be a, uh, you know high performing Olympic weightlifting strength and conditioning apartment but you have seven foot ceilings in your gym at your right. school you're probably not doing anything overhead right so how does that affect your philosophy or you don't have floors Uh, good enough to drop weights on you know how does that affect your philosophy or you know you don't have a weight room that's big enough to fit some of your teams Mm -hmm. how does that affect your philosophy right something that I'm kind of dealing with now um and I think all those like kind of tie into it so the good the bad ugly um again you know I don't know if I can think of a really good example of like bad but I would say you know when you have something whether it's a conflict or something that comes up in Um, that team dynamic or even a work relationship it's a good opportunity then to be to look back at like all right what was my part in this like how did did I have something like is is some of this like oh maybe I shouldn't have said that so quick or whatever it gives you a chance to kind of reevaluate and be like okay was I straying right was I (laughs) was I not sticking to my core principles and values Um, did I kind of get off Because it's easy to do, Um, you know, it happens to all of us. But I think, again, having it written and and being able to reflect on it from time to time also allows you to grow and learn as
0: you go. Mm -hmm. So not necessarily having it written for the world to see, but a good coach should be able to reflect his values and everyone can feed off of that and learn from that kind of environment, whether or not it is written. And I know in the article you do say, if you don't really know what your core principles are yet, write it down. Yeah. You know? It's exactly. it's a good place to start and it's a good place to develop. Something I wonder, when you're having one team, do these values change at all from one team to a next? Or do you have to find ways to express these values different? Maybe it's a male team, female right. team, or maybe it's, you know, a team that loves a weight room football team compared to cross-country team yeah
1: no that's a good point um, yeah well so I would say one no your your core values are your core values those are the, basically the values that help make up the principles and why you stand for and what you what you stand for um, but I think that is a good point that those might look different in different settings right like how I put, someone in a position of leadership with one team might be very different from another team Um, you know with a team of football like you're saying with 140 athletes very different from a team that you know of women's hockey that only has 26 so like from time from how those core values or how you know you determine um, strategies to get people either to do you know movements or teamwork or leadership whatever that might be could differ and and that again you know is comes from experience and being able to be flexible and adaptable as a strength conditioning coach and I think that happens over time I think when we're younger we're far less um, flexible and adaptable I think you know as I think about younger coach Caulfield was probably much more rigid and we can only do it this way and we can only do it that way and now I'm much more like everything works, nothing works forever, you know? Right,
0: right, and that's something I noticed as one of your interns. You're very, Compared to coaches I've had in the past, whether it's good or bad, your view is somewhat laid back, letting the players figure themselves out. And people kind of, people naturally learn to lead in certain positions. For example, we, we have leaders in the weight room, you have leaders in the field, you have leaders in the locker room. Being able to sit back from what I've noticed, is really empowering your athletes, which is another piece that you touch on in your article. Yeah, I
1: think, you know, like, one thing is giving athletes better choices or more choices. I think you guys a lot of times, and especially at a school, you know, with a, a military college, you know, with the amount of um, structure and discipline we have which is great and i'm not complaining about that but giving sometimes the athletes an option of what type of squat they can do or what type of curl you're creating now not only buy-in from the athletes but you're giving them some ownership of that process right and i'm not saying I'm not saying hey, you don't have to squat. You can choose bicep curl instead, right? I'm giving I'm not bending <laughs> on my principles of right. I'm getting what I want out of it, but by giving you an option. Wow, no one's like you just said. Nobody's ever asked. No one's ever given me a choice to do front or back squat or split squat mm-hmm. like, wow, I can pick, right? Like right. so it's just and again, I like I said I don't think the younger me would have never done that and and that's something that just takes time um and experience working with athletes and like said i like you're seeing i've noticed it helped has helped a lot in getting people um one to just get better or be more
0: engaged right i think it, it definitely encourages the people who might not be first people in the weight room to um be more encouraged to come, be more encouraged to do better once they're there, feel like they're not wasting their time by buying into the team effort in the weight room.
1: Yeah, and it just, and again, for me, I want it to be a safe space, I want it to be inclusive, I want people to want to be there, like you just said, and and we've had, again, you know, it's neither here nor there, but we've had uh, past experiences that have created uh, people not wanting to be in the weight room. So to make it much more open and inviting uh, to everybody, you know, was a big goal of mine to really increase. And and we've seen a tremendous uh, amount of feedback, positive feedback in how that's kind of, how people have reacted to our kind of, our style for lack of a better word. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So what are your goals or do you, when you look at an athlete, From their first year by the time they're a senior. Do you have goals for them as a as an athlete and as a person?
1: It's a good question. Um, I would say I like to do goal-setting You know when with different teams, and I think again, I don't necessarily have specific goals related to the person until i get to know them and then once i get to know them and work with them then i can tell you know how i can best guide that person and i think a big part of that is working with the individual athletes and taking time to figure out what goals they have because then that way i can guide them too because if their goal is to gain you know 80 pounds of muscle in the summer then you know you probably have to kind of educate them a little and bring them around to a realistic goal so I think part of it's definitely uh, you have some big rocks or some big kind of key areas that you know that you can make an impact on but I think working with the athletes to really again and that just gets buy-in from you guys it's like oh wow he is now invested in what I care about too and that again it just makes it all around it's a it's a it's a relationship that you know we're building together
0: we kind of jumped around um, talking about your specific guiding values but you write that they are the beliefs and values a person holds will impact their daily actions as they are guiding standards to what is important to them so like you said they're the standards they're your morals can you talk about in a few sentences what your uh, coaching philosophy is
1: Yeah, I mean, I think without like diving down the whole long version, you know, I mean, I think there's some simple principles like attention to detail and building leadership, um, empowering athletes that I feel are critical to running a successful strength and conditioning program. And so I think that just based on those, you know, few examples, like that's how I try and work with athletes and what you know that's how again like you kind of allude to I don't yell a lot I don't come across as this super high intensity um, person that's you know jumping up and down running around the weight room um, so I think you know I've, I've found that my coaching style also you know works really well with a, a lot of different people and again I think it's been very well received here so you know, I've I've kind of tried to probably even rely on that a little more and, and work with giving people a little more autonomy in on their own too. So I think, you know, all those things kind of are really but I you know, I do joke what I just said earlier about everything works and nothing works forever. The older I've gotten, you know, again the real the more I've realized like there's strength initiating programs that are 100% Olympic-based. There's right. some that are 100% powerlifting-based. There's some that are probably bodybuilding-based, right? There's some that are still high-intensity. They all still work, right? Like, right. And, and I think that's, you know, but again, that's where your philosophy comes into play because your beliefs, your experiences, your current situations, your past experiences, how you were brought up or how you were trained or, and how you were educated all influence you yourself and that is gonna influence how you train people.
0: Something I've seen in uh, on shirts or something I've heard you say is simple, strong, consistent. Can you tell me about where that came from?
1: Yep, I totally stole that from my buddy, Aaron Osmus, who was a uh, the director of, at USC football uh, for a while he's back with Sornex exercise equipment now is that um, the
0: pen and paper strength yeah
1: pen and paper strength app guy um, the actual author of Dr. Jack and coach Caulfield even though some people still think I did it but uh, <laughs> Aaron is the man anyway he um, so that <coughs> he He usually tagged those three words along with uh, one of his other pages, Gray Sweatpants Society, who I'm also a member of. And um, (laughs) I just, you know, I feel like those three things make up, you know, really stand for what I value in the weight room. We don't, you know, we do simple foundational movements that, you know, I joke around big bang movements that get big bang results, right? They're, They're the fundamentals that make everything else, you build everything else off of. So we keep it simple um we want to be really strong right stronger athletes have a higher potential to have higher performance and be less injured so we know that strength uh is a huge asset and then consistent again consistency underpins everything in strength and conditioning and working out the whole you know the the ability to stay consistent and be ready um is is the key. The teams that are the most ready are probably the teams that have been the most consistent in training.
0: Teams that are the most consistent in training when they're here and also when they go on break, when they go home. You know, sticking to a plan for an entire off-season it's not easy, so being able to you know, get your players to buy in here it's got to be important for them to buy in
1: when they're away. Yeah, and that's 100% is like making people realize that being consistent means doing it in the off season or means doing it when you're home, right? Because it's not like and we're we're finding that we're we're challenging people now. It's like, no, you don't just start training when you have in season because you think that in season lifting is a priority. And I've been telling our sport coaches that actually you're not going to have a priority in season because the in season is not a priority for you to strength train the in season is a priority for you to play your sport and to win games right out of season is a priority for strengthening conditioning so the more we can kind of get people on board with that as well the more you build consistency throughout the year and then again that's why you know i think stuff i do on social media and whatnot helps because people see that i'm not just talking about it like you can scroll through years of pages of lifting and skiing and mountain biking or whatever it is you know
0: that i value as a as why i'm still doing what i do at my age going back more towards the philosophy and coming up as a a person did your time in the navy influence your philosophy or the roles that were instilled in you then
1: yeah i think i did i mean it, it really so you know, taking it back like I, I went to college for one year in Florida. My second year, my sophomore year in college, um, and I had a blast. It St. Leo College now St. Leo University. Um, joined a frat. I started. That was really the year I considered I actually started lifting. A couple of my fraternity brothers were into it, and so. Um, and then I had such a great time there that I actually failed out of college and joined the Navy that following fall, yeah. <laughs> summer, uh, because I was a poor student who went to the gym more than he went to class. Um, but that being said, you know, the those years in the Navy actually really is what started the foundation of my being consistent about strength and conditioning. So, like, that time I was just lifting and like reading muscle and fitness and not really knowing anything better than how to lift like a bodybuilder but i was also playing a lot of basketball still and i realized that the correlation just for myself between lifting and sports performance so like that was where the light bulb was starting to go off and i right. you know had no idea but it's funny like i talked to some of my navy buddies today you know and this is from you know the early 90s um, or they'll message me on social media when I do something like related to my profession and they'll and like one of them had said like you did it you were you said you were going to do this when we were twenty one and I don 't even remember like right. but they knew like I was training guys in the on the ship in our gym, and like when we were mm-hmm. deployed, I was getting a group of guys together and like getting them to lift and telling them all right you're doing this, and you're doing this, and granted like it just like I said i didn't know them that much, but I knew enough and i had and i had results from it you know and then i had other people that i was testing it on basically and playing around with again not the level of like strength conditioning wise but it was a 100 the the founding kind of like said that the light bulb moment and the like really laying the foundation for the future career yeah it's pretty cool when you think about it
0: so at that point you're 22 23 years old do you see yourself getting out of the Navy and staying in fitness and coaching?
1: Yeah, that was 100%. So I went, I went in really thinking, I'm going to get this GI Bill, I'm going to get out and go back to college. Right. And that was my, the whole time, that was kind of my... Um, Thought process. Um, I had a great experience. It was fun. We went to deployments and went to, I don't even know how many countries, 30 maybe, 25, 30, ton of different countries. Amazing experience when I think about it. Went to Africa to support the Black Hawk Down mission. Um, so many cool things. But I, I really wanted to get out and go back to college and finish college. And I didn't know necessarily what that career looked like at that point. I right. um, ended up going back to college And getting my degree in physical education, which was a non-teaching track much more like related to exercise science and health. So, you know, I still kind of steered that path and it was still kind of, I was going that, I was going the direction that I uh, wanted and thought about. It just didn't know exactly where it
0: was going to take me at that point. Mm -hmm. Then you went back to school and you got your master's in what? Yeah, I got my master's in 2015 in
1: sport coaching, actually. Yep, so it's a master's from the graduate school of professional psychology at University of Denver. And it was a new program that one of my mentors, Dr. Garrity, who actually wrote the research paper that spurred the coaching philosophy article. Um, So he, I had met through the NSCA and just kind of hit it off with him. And then he started this master's program and... uh, He was like, hey, you should be one of our first students. So I was literally, I think, his second student in that program. And now it's pretty big and growing and gets a lot of uh, attention for just a very applicable master's program to people that are coaching full-time in the field. And it was all online. So, you know, obviously having a full-time job that was really the only way I could have thought of getting another degree or going back to school would be doing it in that uh, format. And it was great.
0: That master's is kind of what really... Really put your philosophy and this article into words. Hundred percent.
1: Right? Yep, yep. That was where it was developed and edited and re-edited. I joke around that Dr. Garrity was the co-author on my article because he had to edit it so much that it basically <laughs> became his That's too. His article, right? <laughs> but it's also because he's kind of a hard ass. So. <laughs>
0: yeah. What about growing up? Did you have any role models that inspired you, or was it really just? your fraternity brothers when you were 20 years old that just, you know, valued their fitness or just looking good at the bars or whatever it was? Or was it being in Vermont, seeing the benefit of, you know, skiing, hiking in the summers? And-
1: I mean, growing up I played basketball. That was my main sport and that's who I really looked up to. I had a few good mentors in that aspect. Um, when I was a senior in high school, actually, a guy who coached against us, he was assistant, um, Steve Pratt, he's a, he's a big-time, like, NBA trainer now and trains a lot of basketball athletes. But, like, I was kind of one of the first people he took under his wing. And he somehow talked my mom into letting me go to uh, uh, Montclair State, New Jersey, college, Montclair College, and work at this basketball camp. Like, I have no idea what, how she ever, like, how this guy talked her into it when I look back and, like, I, but I, that was my first job for two summers right out of high school was as a camp counselor at this basketball camp but that like it's coaching right it's still coaching even though it was little kids and high school students and basketball coaching is coaching and that really set the foundation for me realizing that coaching was a profession right like I, I knew I had coaches in high school obviously but like as I coached more I got more involved in it and realized like this was an actual thing and being a coach was like a profession. So then when I finally realized, fast forward that, to realizing that strengthening, conditioning, coaching was an actual thing. It just came and together. The, you know, it all kind of like just
0: started uh, trans- transpiring and like showing itself. <clears throat> Last thing, probably the most important question I'll ask. Why is strength and conditioning the best job in the world?
1: Uh, I think I told you this the other day, but it's definitely the best job in the world because you get to wear sweatpants every day to work. (laughs) (laughs) Also, you get to build really cool relationships with young people uh, that, you know, last forever. I mean, I have a really... Awesome. One of the athletes that I worked with back in the day, a long time ago at Colorado College um, is a secret service agent now and like she's messaged me before and just said thank you so much. Like you changed my life when I was a freshman. And I'm like, what? Like, I can't <laughs> right. even fathom how right. that's a possible. Right. But she she feels that that whatever we did in the weight room made such an impact on her. Um, now she's a secret service agent. You know, there's cool. There's cool things like that. I think. The, the being having athletes just reach out to you at different times, and there's other Norwich athletes that I know from back way back in the day uh, who messaged me from time to time. Now that I'm here, so it's just a super cool opportunity to build relationships and, and help people along the path that you know that you are kind of that your
0: profession or your expertise is in, and of course, sweatpants, sweatpants, <laughs> Scott Caulfield. Thanks for talking. Thanks, Matt. This concludes my episode with Coach Scott Caulfield at Norwich University. Thank you for listening, and I'll leave you with my favorite quote. Everything works, nothing works forever. Take care. See you next time when we talk with Dr. Rachel Pajednik on CBD.